Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. We close out a series today on vision and purpose, and we will be starting a new series next week entitled Love and Marriage. And I know that not all marriages are equal, not all marriages are strong, but all marriages have been ordained by God because it is a ceremony, the oldest and first ceremony ever. Why am I saying that now? Because I don't want to step back in here next week and say, and see like half of you gone <laughs> because you're like, well, marriage isn't for me. I'm single or I'm divorced or I'm, listen, a part of biblical theology is understanding God's whole word. And it's, I, I, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I want you to know that. And there's no condemnation ever meant by the preaching of God's word. And so if marriage is a sensitive topic to you, I'm asking you, those of you at home, those of you here, stick it out. Let's look at God's original intent for marriage. Why did he even create it in the first place? What was its purpose? Where did it go off the rails? And how did God fix it through Christ Jesus? And what is expected of us today, now in the 21st century? What do we do with that? We're going to follow that up in October with a series called Family Dynamics, and if you don't have children, that doesn't mean you can skip out on this either. Because what we're going to do in that month, the five Sunday month of October, is look at five dysfunctional families in the Bible. Every family has a level of dysfunction. There is no perfect person except for Christ. And even Jesus' family, I'm sure, had a level of, of dysfunction. No, I know had a level of dysfunction. But because you could see in one of the episodes... Of, of the family coming to get Jesus because they think he's gone crazy. Okay? So we're going to look at that, and we're going to look at God's purpose for the family in October. And then in uh, November, we're going to look at a series on grief. And we're calling that series Good Grief. And we're going to have a Snoopy theme, right? But the reality is... Um, Grief has its purpose and place in life, and some of us have not grieved well. And loss isn't just by the physical loss of a person to death. Loss can be of a job, of a relationship, through a breakup. It can, grief comes in many forms and fashions, and have you grieved well? And if you have never really grieved, this might be a good one for you to understand how to grieve well if you ever get there. All right? Now... The last sermon in this series is called The State of the Church. We've been looking at the vision and the mission of North Main Street Church of God through this whole month long. And I wanted to end this series with a sermon on the state of the church in America and also look at the state of North Main Street Church of God and really what the church should be about according to God's word. And so I, I did some research over the past several weeks trying to figure out really where to come from on this. There are statistics upon statistics out there, but there are many statistics that, you know, you can read from decades back, but they're really not appropriate, nor are they relevant. 
But through Barna Research Group, which is a statistic research group that looks and does polls around the United States, especially within Christianity and the church, through their research, Lifeway Research Group, Gallup Research Group, information on the state of the church is pretty grim. In an article entitled, What is a Christian Worldview, or you could call it a Biblical Worldview, Focus on the Family asks, do you have a Biblical Worldview? Many of us would probably say, sure. But what is a Biblical Worldview? Let's define what a Biblical Worldview is. Now, I went to try to figure out how do you determine basically the basis for a Biblical Worldview? What's the standard? And again, Focus on the Family through Barna Research also gave a survey on core tenets of the faith. And they asked uh, eight questions. Now, eight is really small, but at least it gives us a good idea about a person's biblical worldview. I want you to listen to these questions. And you maybe should answer these in your own mind. Do absolute moral truths exist? Does absolute moral truth exist? Yes or no? Is absolute truth defined by the Bible? Or is there some other source? The question is, is absolute truth defined by the Bible? Yes or no? Did Jesus Christ live a sinless life? Is God the all-powerful, all-knowing creator of the universe, and does he still rule it today? Is salvation a gift from God that cannot be earned? Here's a toughie. It shouldn't be, but in the church today, it's become one. Is Satan real? Remember the church lady from uh, Saturday Night Live? Could it be Satan? Sorry. And those of you that are not old enough to remember that, I just made an idiot. Well, actually, probably just made an idiot out of myself anyway. Anyway, don't look it up. It's not worth your time. Dana Carvey. Okay. (laughs) Does a Christian have a responsibility to share his or her faith in Christ with other people? And is the Bible accurate in all of its teachings? Okay. Now, that's a broader statement. It's not accurate in every detail of every word, but accurate in all of it. Is the Bible Bible accurate from Genesis to Revelation? That's what it's asking. And the question is, did you answer yes to these, all of them? Only 9%, hear this, because the research that came out from the Barna Group, and this was in 2021, I believe, only nine percent, nine, only nine percent, less than 10, only nine percent of born-again believers who are professed born-again believers said yes to these questions. But what's more than your yes to these questions is if your life actually shows that you live by these things. The question is, in our churches today, if we're truly living by these biblical worldview standards, does our, do we, can the world see it? 
I want to share some current, some more statistics this morning on the state of the church. Some of them may not be all that surprising to you, but some might. So let's take a look. According to Lifeway Research Group, not Barna, but Lifeway, 47% of Americans are members of a house of worship. Now that is over the whole United States, 330 plus million people, 40, that's less than 50% now, would, can, would be members of a house of worship. That doesn't mean you go every Sunday because there are churches, unlike North Main Street Church of God, we don't have a formalized membership that have roll books with people on the membership that could be in the thousands, but they only have regular attendance of maybe 100 every week. Okay, do you understand what I'm saying? Of that, 47% of Americans are members of a house of worship. Number two, 4,500 U.S. Protestant churches closed in 2019. To give you perspective on that, listen, U.S. Protestant churches endured a difficult 2020. Why? Some of you weren't there. We had COVID that year. And uh, if you missed out on that, you're like Rip Van Winkle, slept right through it. Actually, that would have been a better thing to do, right? So... 2020, the church took a significant hit, in many ways financially, in many ways by members or regular attenders. North Main was about 475 people in attendance on a regular basis, 450 to 475. We were pushing those upper levels. We are back down to 375 in-house and, and several, actually that may be online too. But anyway, I have to ask my number crunchers here at the church. But we lost about 20% of people that never came back. They either transitioned to a different church or left church altogether. So let's put some perspective into that. U.S. Protestant churches endured a difficult 2020 Lifeway Research says, including starting the year with fewer congregations. So the pandemic didn't really shut everything down until about March. You remember that? So the year started out with churches shutting down. This just kind of pulled the plug of life support on some of the churches that were barely making it. In 2019, approximately 3,000 Protestant churches were started in the U.S., but 4,500 churches closed. Do you catch that? 3,000 were started, 4,500 closed. What is the trend in the church in America? Three in 10 unchurched Americans say that a Christian has shared the gospel with them, 30%. 30% of unchurched have said that a believer in Christ has shared the gospel with them. What did Jesus give to his disciples right before he ascended to heaven? What was the last words he gave them? Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you to the end of the age. The end of the age is the second return of Christ. And some of us may not be here when he returns. We may have died and gone on to heaven. The reality is we have been given a commission, a great commission. What are we doing with it? 
If three in 10 unchurched Americans say that a Christian has shared the gospel with them, we're not doing so great. And I, you, I, I get it. You don't want to be weird. All right? Some of us are just naturally weird. But then on top of that, to take the gospel and to look like a Jesus freak really makes us feel uncomfortable. I don't have, you know, one of the things I get, especially from church people who know enough of the Bible to be dangerous, is, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. That's not my response. We know, actually, you have a mandate in a mission, whether you have the gift of evangelism or not. We've all been called to make disciples. It's not just a select group of clergy that have been called to do that. 39% of Americans see pastors as honest. This one was very difficult for me. And now listen, after briefly stabilizing, Americans' positive opinions of ethics of pastors have declined eight of the past 10 years. This is recent research, okay, since 2011, 2012. The past eight of 10 years, and let's be honest, rightly so. Why would you trust a pastor anymore when what you see on the news and highlighted by the media are pastors completely and utterly abusing their authority and power, falling from grace, having affairs, womanizing, or doing any number of things? Trust of Ministers is at an all-time low. This marks the second time since Gallup began surveying Americans about their trust of various occupations that fewer than two in five clergy, uh, fewer than two in five gave clergy the highest ratings. Two years ago, pastors reached their lowest mark at 37% of trust. It bumped up a little bit during 2020 to about 39%, or excuse me, 40%. So we went from 37 to 40, but now we're back down to 39. 37% of Americans have confidence in the church. I was listening to a statistic this week, or this week I was away at a conference, <clears throat> and I heard a statistic, I haven't validated this yet, so take it as a grain, with a grain of salt, that when a nation gets to about a 37% biblical worldview, it's almost at the tipping point of no return. When the standards and basis by which a nation or a society lives goes below, below that 37 or 38 percentage of people who have a biblical worldview, the scales are tipped so much so in a secular worldview perspective that that tends to be where society goes. We're pretty darn close. 37% of Americans have confidence in the church. One last one here for you. 65 people attend the median U.S. church each week. So 65 is the average attendance of a church every week. It's gone down. When I was in college, it was like 85. And that's 20-some years ago. It's continued down. It's 20 people less in the, is the average church size. Now, it's not about church size. Please understand, there was a church growth movement going on when I was a kid and all the way through my college years, but church growth for church growth's sake is not what the church is to be about. Making disciples is what the church is to be about because th growing, thriving, 
healthy churches are making disciples, not converts. Does this make sense? In the Great Commission, did Jesus say, go make converts? So we can get another notch in our belt. I know people are just like that. Colleagues of mine through the years, you know. And I remember interviewing at a church in Jersey Shore, Pennsylvania, uh, almost 20 years ago. And the senior pastor there, and I won't tell you his name because you may know him. I remember sitting in that phone interview. How many people have you saved in the past week? How many people have you saved in the past month? And I remember like being overwhelmed with uh, nobody, but I've taught and I've helped to uh, make disciples and do that. No, 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 no. How many people have you converted to Christianity this week, this month, the past year? And he had the gift of evangelism, but definitely wasn't a very nice guy. It's not about converts, it's about disciples. Now, I'm not, you, the difference between the two is people go into this trying to make converts, they think that's the end goal. Discipleship is a lifelong process. And the reason disciples aren't being made in the church today, you want to know why? It's because we don't have the patience to go with somebody the distance. It's true. Why are our churches dying today? Why is the median size of a church 65? And why are churches closing the doors every year to the tune of more than that are opening new doors? It's because we've got this mentality, we just gotta make converts versus disciples. Disciples go the long haul. Converts don't always go the long haul. One couple more things before I close out. There's some positive news here. I don't want to look, make it look like it's all stark. Uh, here's some good news. According to Tom Rainer, CEO, a former CEO of Lifeway, he said, churches that grow will move evangelism to a priority in ministry. This isn't making converts, it's making disciples, going with the gospel to bring people into the kingdom. You've got to be used to rejection. You have to get used to rejection. Jesus was rejected often, and he was God. <laughs> he says, when they hate you, remember they hated me, and they will hate you because of me. And, and he said uh, in John 16, 33, in this world, you're going to have troubles of any kind, but take heart, I've overcome the world. I think we're on the winning side of things with him. I remember, and you, you probably heard me say this, I worked, uh, one of my first jobs out of college was working for Warner Southern College, which is now Warner University in Lake Wells, Florida. I worked in the recruitment department. And I remember working there as a student worker, and I'd come in in the evenings after my classes to earn a little cash to, to enjoy for the weekends or whatever. And I would sit in what we had a, as a call center, and they would give us a stack of these communication cards like we have here of prospective students to call. And I get a stack of 50 to 100, and I would spend the next couple hours making phone calls. Guess how successful my percentage was of getting people to continue to be interested in Warner? It may be 2%. <laughs> Most of the calls were either hung, I either got hung up on or people were 
Uh, yeah, I just filled that out to get free stuff at one of your youth booths at this place. Or, you know, I just did this, or I, did, I, did, I was not really interested in it. Click, 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 click. And it can be very discouraging, I get it. But thank God Jesus was willing to take the click, 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 click of many in the world so that at least we would have an opportunity of salvation. And if he can do that, shouldn't I? Yeah, I think so. Attitudes toward Christians and churches are not monolithic. That's another good story. Don't assume that every non-Christian you meet is anti-Christian. For certain, there are some that have antipathy toward our faith, but many do not. Some have been hurt by the church and want a reason to believe that the church is still good even though they had a bad experience. They just need a time of healing and they need to know there's something beyond their past experience. Regardless, the Holy Spirit can work in any culture at any time. The first century culture did not begin with a favorable cultural view of Christianity, but the early churches did okay anyway. The Roman culture, when the church took its rooting after Christ ascended to heaven and the church began to grow after the day of Pentecost, was in a very anti-Christ culture. But don't dismiss what the Holy Spirit can do with a truly obedient people. Let's read again. Matthew 28, 16 through 20, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when, he saw him, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on, earth, and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Here's the last key point for this series. Making disciples is the litmus test for a healthy church. What does a disciple look like? A disciple's a student of Christ. Jesus gives us a very good depiction and picture of a disciple in Luke chapter 9, starting with verse 23. Jesus had been speaking to the crowds. He's speaking to his 12 disciples who are with him in his missionary journeys around that region. And he says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. What does that mean? How many of you have a way you like to go? How many of you, when you're coming home from work, you have a way to get home that you know is the fastest? Hmm? Right? Or if you go to the store, or if you go to this, any, any place. We go to back and forth to Kentucky, my family and I do, uh, at least a handful of times a year. That's where our family still lives. And so when we go, there are multiple routes. On my GPS, it gives me this routes option. Which route would you like to take? I have a favorite way. But sometimes, guess what? My favorite way it gives you a little layout of all the obstacles and police and things along the way. And sometimes my favorite way is not the best way to get to where I need to go. So I have a choice to make. 
I can still go my own way. You can go your own way. Sorry. I just, there's a song for everything, right? I just want to make, you, make sure you're still awake with me. Uh, yeah, peace out. Um, I just lost Sabrina. <laughs> She's like, that was it. Those of you at home couldn't see, somebody just got up and left after I started singing. All right, let's get back on track. The ways that I like to go are not always the best ways. And so sometimes I hit construction. Sometimes I hit a traffic jam. Sometimes I hit a pile of traffic and I'll sit there for hours because there's an accident ahead. And I knew it. I, I looked at the GPS. You must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me, Jesus says. That doesn't sound like a fun way. It doesn't sound like a way that's going to make me happy. Wait, take up your cross? Do, and I want you to imagine, we hear this, and we know what a cross, we see it on our steeples, on the back walls of our churches. If you have a church that still has, it, you know, displays the cross, we have around our necks. The cross is not really an offensive thing anymore. But when Jesus was stating this, imagine what his audience would have heard. Because in the Roman culture, they would not have the cross ready at the place of execution. You would have to carry yours. So when Jesus was forced to carry his cross, that wasn't something that was nuanced or new. Every criminal condemned to execution by crucifixion had to carry their cross. And Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you need to give up your own way. Take up your cross daily not just once. Well, I got saved back in 1912. If you're still alive, kudos. That's awesome. You know, I got saved back such and such, and I'm good. But you live like the devil the rest of the week. You aren't taking up, you aren't, you aren't not going your own way. You're constantly going your own way, doing your own thing as you please. Can I tell you, the churches that are growing in number aren't teaching this kind of a message. <laughs> you know why? Because we don't want to hear, we are a microwave culture, boop, and it's done. Just give me the simplest, quickest route. Sometimes God's way is not the simplest nor quickest route, but it is always the most fulfilling route. It is always the route that when you look back over it, though it may have been tough, you know that it was good. Because whatever deep, dark valleys that you've gone through, you've seen a set of footsteps that were with you along the way, and you knew you weren't alone. Give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. And then, as if it weren't enough, he wants to give you a little bit more to go on. He says, in verse 24, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. Okay, be more specific. What does it mean to hang on to your life? It doesn't mean 
that you should go out there, throw caution to the wind, and do every stupid thing possible. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because I've seen people take this and abuse it. I'm going to go do whatever uh, for, for Jesus without calculating the cost. Because <laughs> that's biblical too. And they are not contradictory. But I see people trying to hang on to their lives. You know what that looks like? Well, it looks a lot like the parable where Jesus says there was this guy who was a farmer and he had a great crop year and he started storing all of this in, in silos and he, he just continued to store and he had all of these silos and he got really arrogant and proud of himself. Look how much I've stored away. I can just sit back, relax and do nothing and live off the fruits of my labor from this glorious year of harvest. And what happens to the man in the parable of the story who'd saved up all that grain? He died. The moral of the story is you can plan your own way, go your own way, do your own thing, try to hang on to every ounce of whatever this world offers you, but in the end, it's just like grains of sand going through your fingers. You try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it, but if you give up your life for Christ's sake, you'll gain it. And what do you benefit, he says in verse 25, if you gain the whole world, in some verses say, lose your soul, but New Living Translation says, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you yourself, but are yourself lost or destroyed? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, Jesus says, the Son of Man, which is himself, will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. So at the second return of Christ, if we have been ashamed of him and his message, what is he saying? We don't, this is not, this is not fun to hear. Yeah, I believe in Jesus, but only in my little closet in quiet time. There's a few people know it, but not everybody knows it. Not that you should go around saying, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. You don't have to go around and say that. Your life should speak volumes to that. It doesn't mean that you have to be perfect by the world's standards, but to be perfect by Jesus' standards. What does that mean? Because we are told to be perfect as he is perfect, holy as he is holy. And I said this in my class this morning, to be perfect as Christ is perfect means that we are complete, needing nothing. We hang on to our life, we have a ton more needs than if we give up our life for Jesus' sake. Because he supplies all the needs I ever need. Yes. So a believer in Christ and to be a follower of Christ and to make a disciple of Christ requires self-denial. Just no way around it. You must give up your own way. Biblical scholar and author Bruce Barton asks this question, what does it mean to deny yourself? And listen to what he says. To deny oneself means a willingness to let go of selfish desires and earthly security. How many of you would say you have selfish desires and you long for earthly security, especially in a, a day of inflation <laughs> and high gas price? Okay, the gas prices have gone down a little bit, but compared to three years ago? <laughs> anyway, I'm just saying 
How many of us want the security? But security, by earthly terms, goes against every biblical standard. Did you know that? And it's not to, it's not to mean that we don't have desires, that we, it's nice to have cushion in the paycheck and to not live paycheck to paycheck. I'm not, don't get me wrong, Sarah Lee and I and our family, We'd love to have more money so that we could do more and live a little bit more easy life, but the reality is it's, it's not about that. Brandon, how can you say it's not about that? I'm in default on this loan. I'm about to have my electric shut off. I'm about to, my car won't start. I can't get to my job. The enemy, the enemy would love nothing more for us to get our eyes focused on the wind and the waves of life. Because what happens when we get focused on the problems instead of the solution to all of our problems? We begin to sink in the muck and the mire of the problems and we become depressed and we start to spiral. Don't we? When, when, when one thing bad after another happens, after another, after another, what happens to your attitude, your perspective? Where does your focus go? Naturally, it goes on the problems, the situation, and then, if you're like me, I like to sit and have a nice little pity party. And in my prayer time, I get sassy with God. You know my needs. Why is this happening? What's wrong with you? I mean, you own a cattle on a thousand hills. Do you not see what's going on? How many more times can I pray about this situation? Where are you, God? There's story upon story upon story of people who have had some of the worst lives that history could ever write, who had surrendered their lives to Christ, given up their own way, and were able to keep their head held high and say, you know what? God is still good, I still trust him, and I'm still his. In this world, you will have troubles of many kinds. Take heart, he has overcome the world. Just make it easier, Jesus. Do you know to follow, take up your cross and follow Jesus? Where did Jesus carry his cross? <laughs> And if we're called to carry our crosses, do you think it's going to be any less for us? It's not to say you're going to have a life of hardship, but the reality is following Christ means following the path of suffering. Because if you are a friend of the world, the world's not going to push back against you. But to be a friend of Christ means to be an enemy of the world, not because we are trying to make enemies, but by default, being a friend of Christ automatically makes us an enemy to the world. The second thing is taking up your cross daily. What does it mean to take up your cross daily? Barton also goes on to say there's a double meaning to taking up your cross. It means to follow Jesus to death if necessary. Listen, really, that's what it means. To take up your cross daily and follow him may mean, as it does in many cultures across this globe even today, where there's a higher concentration of Christian persecution than there was in the time of the first century church. It's gotten worse. It's not gotten better. It means I'm willing to die 
for what I believe in. And I believe in the one who is able to save me from hell. It means to go to death if necessary, but it also means to die to selfish desires and ambitions. Thus, it further explains how to deny yourself. So, I, I, may, I mentioned this last week, I'm going to mention it again this week because I think it bears repeating. I've seen people fight so hard to do X, Y, or Z. For instance, let's just say couples that have been barren and unable to have kids and have tried for 8 to 10 to 15 years to have a child of their own to no avail who finally say, okay, Lord, I guess this isn't your will. And they still trust and love the Lord and they begin the adoption process. And I'm, there are countless cases of people, Sarah Lee and I know, where they have adopted. And as soon as they have adopted, within that next year, for whatever reason, many of them have gotten pregnant for the first time. I'm not saying that God has intervened in those situations directly, but I'm also saying he hasn't. Because the reality is, when we finally get to the point where we say, okay, God, I'm done trying, I release every desire to you, and I'm willing to do whatever it is you want, and, and I'm okay if this never happens. I've seen breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough when somebody finally releases their desires to God and God finally says, okay, now I can do something amazing in your life. And it may not always be what you had hoped or expected. It may even be better than that. But you may never know if you keep hanging on to stuff and hanging on to certain desires that you haven't completely surrendered to Christ. What are you holding on so tightly to? Is it your kids? Is it a wayward spouse? Not that you should kick them by the curb, but the reality is the longer you hold on and the tighter you hold on to something without releasing it to God and saying, God, there's nothing more I can do, it's now yours. I've seen this in our own personal lives. I'm not gonna give you a personal testimony right now. Suffice it to say, when I finally got to the point where I released the burden I had for a family member, and I said, Lord, I'm, I can't... There's nothing more I could do. And so I had to physically say this out loud, Lord, I release this person into your hands because only you can do this. Do you know within the next three months the miraculous happened? <laughs> and I stood jaw agape at what God did. And that's not to say he's going to do that in every case. But the reality is, when I finally got to the point where I'm like, okay, God, <laughs> I've, I've cried enough, I've mourned enough, I've, I've, I've been crushed under the weight of the burden enough for this family member. They're yours. <sighs> and you feel the release of that burden and God says, okay, that's what I've been needing you to do all along. Are any of you burdened and carry heavy weight? Jesus says, come to me and you can find rest. Take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For I'm meek and humble at heart and you can find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We just don't trust him enough to do that. 
And even when we sometimes release something to him, or we lay down our cross because it becomes too heavy, we think, we realize that a lot more mess comes after the fact. The last thing is that it requires following Christ. Following in the footsteps of Christ is not always easy either. Because I think a lot of times in in the Christian church, since I've been alive, not in my earlier days, but as I've grown into a young adult and into an older adult at this point, that the message of the gospel changed. We tried to make it more palatable for the culture, the ever-changing culture. And because the the, the, the churches of America, the Christian church of America, tried to make the gospel more palatable. We softened the reality of what it truly takes to be a follower of Christ. So that when people started to come in through the doors and come to the churches, they were disillusioned. Why? Because they'd been sold on a bill of goods that never panned out in the way they thought it would. Following Christ is not easy. And again, this isn't a great church marketing tool. I mean, Jesus, how many people by the very end of his time on this world, on this globe, how many people stood by his side when push came to shove? When he was going the Father's way and not his own way, how many people were left with him? A few women. And that's not besmirching the women, but in that culture, that was a big deal. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. I have a whole different philosophy on that now because the reality is in Christianity or in, the faith, in our faith in Christ, when the going gets tough, the tough get going away from Christianity or away from, it's not away from Christianity. I'm not talking about a religion. I'm talking about Christ when I say this, okay? Jesus, I thought it was gonna be different. When the difficulty comes, instead of leaning away from Christ, we have to lean even deeper in. Because that's the only place you can find peace. The problem is, and I've seen this 23 years in ministry, when difficulties come, where people that are in the church, they tend to lean away from Christ. The first thing that happens when somebody falls into sin or back into addiction or back into this, guess where the first place they do not go? And, and I hear the excuse, and it's not really a palatable excuse, is, well, the church is just going to judge me. I've seen it happen over and over again. There are some judging churches and people within the church that are nasty people. Don't get me wrong. I've experienced it. I've seen it. I've witnessed it. But the first thing, is Satan real? I believe he is. The first thing Satan would love for you to do is that when you've messed up, you've slipped up, to make yourself vacate the place that can bring you back to a place of wholeness, a people who can bring you to wholeness, a God who loves you, and who has decided in our day and age to dwell amidst the body who he calls his followers or disciples. You come to a place of worship, you do not come to church. Do you know that? This building could implode, hopefully with nobody in it, and it's just a building. 
Do you realize that? If this building got firebombed by protesters and burnt all the way to the ground, would North Main Street Church of God cease to exist? A couple of you believe that. The reality is no, because the church is not a building, it is a people. And we are a small group of people in the grander scheme of the body of Christ globally. We are part of the whole. And when we gather together and he is in our midst is when things happen of a miraculous nature. If we believe, following Christ is so important. Jesus says in John 14, starting with verse 1, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this weren't so, I would have told you, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. Do you know the way? Jesus is always the answer. Jesus says, after Thomas says, Lord, we don't know the way to where you're going. Just show us the way. <laughs> and this is the verse I quote often. Jesus says, Thomas, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Give up your own way and follow me. And then Philip says, well, just show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. Show us God. Do you, do you catch this is this us looking at this now? If you're a believer in Christ, you know Jesus is God. Just show us God, the Father, and we'll be satisfied. <laughs> I wish I could have been a fly on the wall that day to see Jesus' response. Because I'm guessing he's going, Oh, Philip, 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 Philip. And he says, Have I not been with you this long and you still don't know who I am? That's a bold statement. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Whew. And finally, and I close with this, the sharing of the message of Christ. I take seriously, because I struggle with this, I don't want to be looked on as a fool. I really don't. There's a certain decorum about me. I'm goofy, I'm a nut, I'm, I'm a cut up, but there's still a certain air about me that I don't want to be looked down on as a fool. And I wonder if it's not the same for many of us in this room. We don't like to be mocked, ridiculed, called names, besmirched. We want to keep our reputation intact. And so oftentimes we avoid the conversations about faith because our society especially now more than ever, is erring on the side of looking at those people of true Christian Orthodox faith as being haters, kooks, homophobes, xenophobes, all those other phobes you want to talk about. And quite honestly, uh, two weeks ago, or last week, I mentioned something in passing, which is not even a part of my notes about homosexuality, and I had a couple comments. And, and their concern was that I was maybe promoting hate of homosexuals. I would never promote violence or hate against any group of people, no matter how much I disagreed with their lifestyle or way of doing things. So let me explain very clearly 
Because I've always said, if there's a confusion about anything I've said up here, let me be very clear about this. Believers in Christ, disciples of Christ, should be the most loving community the world has ever known. Remember last week, I said, Jesus came to save the world, not to condemn it. John chapter 3, verse 17. He came to not condemn, but to save the world. And if his mission was not to condemn the world but to save it, then as his disciples, what is our mission? So now, if we go with the message of Christ, unashamed, we go with the message of love. But love doesn't mean we avoid the hard conversations. I said this last week, and I think it got missed in that conversation about homosexuality or the gender inclusivity, or any number of things that are going on in society today that we need to be actually speaking into. The church remaining silent on these issues just continues to foment the enemy's desires in our culture. And churches turning a blind eye or softening the gospel, again, to make these issues palatable, is a dangerous place to be. But hear me out, hear me out. The greatest act of love is showing a way out of sin and death. If I'm incorrect in that, then I need to be convinced by scripture and other ways. For me to say what I see going on in your life doesn't line up with God's best for you, is the most loving thing I could do if I'm willing to not only point it out, but walk alongside if I'm allowed. To reach out a hand of hope and help is the most loving thing. But there are churches and there are people within churches that point a finger of condemnation and that's not what we're called to do. If Jesus didn't come to condemn but to save, then as his disciples, which is what this whole series has been about, is to not be ashamed of the gospel or the love of Christ, but to go boldly into the world with those things, but not arrogantly. I could walk around with a chip on my shoulder with the authority of Christ and totally make a mockery of God and undercut what the Holy Spirit might want to do in somebody else's life. But if I'm following in the footsteps of Jesus, I'm going to be going to the leper colonies. I'm going to be going to the outcast, the social uh, outcasts of our day and age. I'm not going to refrain from seeking to save that which has been lost for the sake of Christ. I'm not going to avoid the difficult conversations of our day and age if I have answers and truth at my disposal. And I will never hate another human being on the face of the earth. Even if they're staring me straight in the eye and damning me to hell. And it's happened. It's heartbreaking. I could take it personal and be hurt by it, and sometimes I do. 
But when I'm able to really process it, I realize their beef isn't with me. They're struggling and wrestling against a spiritual war that's not of flesh and blood. Biblical author and, uh, and scholar, as our worship team comes forward, biblical scholar and author Michael Wilcock asks a very important question. Listen, what's, listen to this. How much of the activity of the Christian communities to which we belong falls under the condemnation of being deficient in one respect, overblown in another, when compared to the kind of community the Lord calls his disciples to be? Let me read that again. How much of the activity of the Christian churches to which we belong falls under the condemnation of being deficient in one respect, overblown in another, when compared to the kind of community the Lord calls his disciples to be? With regard to the world, we try to impress it with our success or our social importance when our great concern should be to evangelize it. Within the church, we strive for bureaucratic efficiency and economic security when our great aim should be its growth and spiritual maturity. As for the cross, we do indeed bear it publicly as a necessary feature of our church buildings or as an ornament around our neck or more importantly, as the heart of the message we preach. But that is not enough. We are meant to be bearing it daily. Bearing it to a daily crucifixion at our own personal calvaries. True Christian community is perpetually dying, yet ever being built up and thus embodying the double principle of death and resurrection. It demonstrates before the world the gospel of our Lord. So what's the state of North Maine? <laughs> I'd like to believe that we're in the process of developing completely committed followers of Christ. I would like to believe that every member of this congregation has taken seriously the mandate to make disciples and to be a disciple of Christ. I would like to believe that the evidence of this would be a healthy, vibrant, growing body of Christ here at the top of North Main Street Hill off Highway 8 in Butler County. But this takes everyone who calls this their home church and calls Jesus their Lord, not just a pastor on the stage. You've been called to make disciples. Now, how are you doing? How am I doing? You might think it's easy for me, but it's not. Standing up here preaching every Sunday is not discipleship. It's giving a message from the Word of God. Discipleship is coming alongside and pointing to Jesus. Let's take this mandate seriously. Let's truly be the church that helps people to know Christ intimately, grow in Him continually, and go for Him daily. And if you aren't connected in any way like that to this church, but you want to be, you've sat on the sidelines so long, and you're like now... I need to get connected, I need to really get involved, then do it. Call the office, go to our welcome center, get information, let's get connected and let's do this together as the body of Christ. Did you know Butler is not a fully Christianized area? <laughs> I didn't know if you knew that or not. There are people on our own streets that don't know him 
and are in need of a word of hope? Are you unashamed enough to go tell them? Father, we love you. Though we don't always show it in practical ways, we may give it lip service, but God, I know love is an action. Jesus said many times in the Gospels, Father, we know this, if you love me, obey my commands. And the greatest commandment he gave us is to love, love you and to love each other. <laughs> and that's the commission we go with. In order to make disciples, we have to go with that love to the rest of the world. The greatest act of love is going and loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. Because we love you and because you first loved us. God, forgive us where we failed that. Forgive us at times where we've been ashamed or, or afraid. Help us to not be arrogant in our going and to be pompous about it. Help us to be gentle as doves, but as wise as serpents. Help us to be led by your Holy Spirit in a way that only your Spirit can lead us and help us to not go our own way, but to surrender our own way to you the way, the truth, and the life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.